1: with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, the DraftKings YouTube channel, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. The volume. Lakers Tonight is presented by FanDuel Sportsbook. There's no better place to make every moment more than with FanDuel. You get great odds in markets for the NBA, NHL, college, and so much more. It's America's number one sportsbook. It's super easy to use. Plus, you can combine multiple bets from the same game into a same game parlay. If you are new, just download the FanDuel Sportsbook app to get started now. Sign up with promo code JasonT so they know I sent you. All right, welcome to Hoops Tonight, presented by FanDuel here at the volume. Happy Wednesday, everybody. I hope all of you guys are having a great week so far. Today is my one and only calendar day, full calendar day that I'm in Tucson before I head right back out of town tomorrow to go to Las Vegas for NBA Summer League. Which I'm very, very excited for. A couple of massive games, I'll be at most of the games, but a couple of massive games I will for sure be at. There's a Orlando Magic versus Houston Rockets game tomorrow night which will feature Paolo Manchero and Jabari Smith Jr. that I will have an instant reaction video on. And then I believe either the next day or two days later, the uh, Magic play, or excuse me, the Rockets play the Oklahoma City Thunder. So we'll get to see Chet Holmgren versus Jabari Smith Jr. I will be at both of those games. I'll be doing live reactions. So make sure you, first of all, subscribe to the Volumes YouTube channel so you don't miss any of those videos. And also follow me on Twitter at underscore JasonLT. I'll be tweeting out where I'm at in the gym and stuff and and where I'm at around town. So you guys have an opportunity. If you guys are friends of the show, if you want to swing by and say, hi, talk some hoops and hang out for a little bit. I also plan on trying to find at least one day where I can get to a gym, um, and play a little basketball with some of the local people over there. So again, follow me on, on Twitter at underscore Jason LT. So you guys can kind of see where I'm at. I would love to get to meet some of you guys, some of the people that have supported this show so much over the course of the last year and that I appreciate so much. Um, so last night, As we were all waiting for Kyrie news or Kevin Durant news or really anything interesting, a Russell Westbrook trade, something along those lines. Instead, we got a very interesting Lakers-related piece of news. The Lakers managed to sign Thomas Bryant, who is a former Laker, very interesting young center prospect in the league right now, who had a partially torn ACL about a year and a half ago. That's kept him out for a while, so that's why you haven't seen much. Uh, of Thomas Bryant. And so maybe not a big game, uh, maybe not a big name, excuse me, not necessarily anything splashy, but I think a very very solid player and a very interesting player as it pertains to the shape and and essentially the identity of what this year's Lakers team is going to be. So I wanted to take today to focus in on the Lakers so far this offseason. The moves that they've made, things that I liked, things that I disliked, things that I expect later in the summer as well. It's going to be a Lakers-themed day. Now, remember, this show originally (laughs) was uh, uh, under the name Lakers Tonight. We switched it to Hoops Tonight because that was always the plan. We were always going to cover the whole league. However... The Lakers, even though I know many of you, probably despise the Lakers. And I'm not a Lakers fan either. I've just covered the team over the course of the last couple of years. I've become a fan of certain elements of the franchise, of course. But the Lakers will always be one of the prominent franchises in the NBA. Hell, they have LeBron James and Anthony Davis on the team. I know it was really strange that they didn't make the playoffs this year. But a lot. even with all of the disastrous things that they did, it was primarily injury-related. So if LeBron James and Anthony Davis are healthy this year... Chances are they'll be right back in the mix, and this show, Hoops Tonight, will always focus on all of the league, but with a primary focus on the top teams, and that goes with big brands like the Lakers and Knicks, it goes with successful teams and franchises like the Toronto Raptors and the Golden State Warriors, and teams that are contenders, so that's why we're going to dive a lot into teams like the Boston Celtics when they're really good, or teams like the Philadelphia 76ers or the Miami Heat. We're always going to focus in on the best and most interesting teams, and the Lakers, Come hell or high water, because they have so much star power, because they have the you know <laughs> the dramatic ownership general management group that they have, it's always going to be a team that we spend some time on. So today is going to be a Lakers-themed show. I'm going to get into some positives uh, from this summer, some things that I didn't like, what I expect about the Kyrie fit. Because I do still think there's about an 80% chance that he's a Laker when this is all said and done. And then I'm going to do deep dives into four specific players. Thomas Bryant, Lonnie Walker, uh, Juan Toscano Anderson, and Troy Brown Jr. Just some of the things that I've noticed on tape and some things that I'll be looking for from them once we get into the season. Uh, but I do want to start positive. Because there's a there. i I've been really hard on the Lakers. As you guys know, I've been really hard on Jeannie Buss. I've been really hard on Rob Polink. I've been really hard on everybody on the roster, including LeBron James. And you know what? I don't feel bad about it. They deserve it. They were the second leading favorite in Vegas, and then they missed making the playoffs in a field that allows twenty of the thirty teams to get it. It was embarrassing, and heads needed to roll, and heads basically have rolled over the, have been rolling over the course of the last couple of months. Um, it's been kind of a funny start to free agency so far, right? Like it kind of feels like Rob Palenka is making decisions based on public perception rather than what the league is kind of trending towards, right? Like, they lose to the Suns, and then they load up on offense and shooting. And then they can't guard anybody, and all their old guys are hurt. And then the criticism becomes, oh, well, they didn't have any defensive-minded players, and they were too old. Well, every player they've signed so far this offseason is in his 20s. They've now become super young and super athletic and very defensive-minded. And a lot of the role players that they've uh, picked up... Are players that have severe offensive limitations. So it's kind of funny to see the the pendulum of public perception kind of drive Rob Palinka's decision making rather than just kind of focusing in on specific team needs. But we'll get to that later. Like I like I said, I, I just undercut myself because I said I was going to be positive and I just was negative. But I do want to try to start positive. So let's let's start positive with the Lakers first and foremost. I really really like the Damian Jones and Thomas Bryant signings. They are. Modern NBA centers. Again, like you think about if we go back in a time machine, 20 years, the game played it in a gruelingly slow pace. So transition foot speed didn't matter at all. Right, like the game, the game was primarily three out, two in, meaning there was primarily two centers clogging things up and two defensive centers climbing, uh, clogging things up on every single possession. So floor spacing wasn't necessarily a concern because everybody was dealing with it, right? And with the way that the game was officiated at the time, where contact was allowed pretty much all over the floor, you were better off going to one of your bigger players to try to get them to bully the ball closer to the basket. But a lot of things have changed in the two decades since. Looking right at the physicality, the post-up is basically the only place on the floor in the regular season where you're allowed to be physical. So it no longer makes sense to post players up unless you have a significant size advantage because defensively, the refs allow you to do just about anything there. Whereas everywhere else on the floor, it's like you put your hands on somebody, it's a foul. You bump somebody, it's a foul. You come up underneath a shooter, it's a foul. You bear, It's extremely ticky-tack everywhere else on the floor. And then very and very loose and and just kind of free for all underneath the basket. So post up offense is particularly centers banging on centers. You just don't really see much value in that anymore. You'll still see your LeBrons posting up a small guard or a big guard posting up a small guard, but it's few and far between, and it's not a very you know smart way to run offense anymore. Then we ditched the power forward, and we basically added a fourth wing slash guard perimeter player. So as a result, spacing now is a concern. If you are running some sort of three out, two in type of attack, or if you have two really, uh, uh if you have two non-shooters on the floor, then things really will get clogged up. And it's no longer a, an issue of competitive or it becomes an issue of competitive advantage because the other teams you're playing don't have that problem. And so as things have gotten spaced out more, and as we've ditched that four man, the traditional four man having that big lumbering center, has become more and more of a problem. And then last but not least, the game just plays at a much faster pace, and a lot of teams play a five-out style of basketball. So your ability to get up and down the floor in transition and your ability to cover ground in rotation is much more important now than it used to be. And so essentially, a big lumbering center like Dwight Howard carried a great deal of value 10, 15 years ago, right? When the game was like that. But now it's like you almost want a guy that's a little bit smaller, a little bit thinner, a little bit faster, and a guy that doesn't rely on post-up touches. Ironically, Dwight Howard having a tiny bit of a late career renaissance there with the Lakers in 2020 came with him slimming down a lot and ditching the post-ups and primarily being at least the best version of that that he could be. So I did think it was impressive for Rob Palenka to notice that trend that I just laid out and to target centers that are younger, faster, that will actually be able to get up and down the floor, especially since Darvin Ham has talked a lot about how he does want to play fast. And so you're going to need a specific type of center to be able to do that. And Thomas Bryant and Damian Jones give you that. So I do like that a lot. Also, they shifted towards defensive-minded guards. Once it's gone on Anderson... Troy Brown Jr., Lonnie Walker, that they're kind of fit into the existing mix of players that the Lakers signed late last year, right? Austin Reeves, a defensive-minded guard, Stanley Johnson, a defensive-minded wing, and Wenyon Gabriel, a defensive-minded kind of like forward-wing hybrid, right? And so now you have a bunch of really defensive-minded young players. The reason why that's important is you got to look at the LeBron James and Anthony Davis problem. You know, LeBron James and Anthony Davis, the reason why everyone got so excited when they originally paired up in 2020 is they were the consummate modern NBA frontcourt. They brought all of the physically imposing stuff that came from your old school power forward sender combos with all of the malleability, versatility, and foot speed that comes from the modern frontcourt combos, right? And then you combine that with LeBron James being one of the most dominant offensive forces of all time and Anthony Davis, at least during the first year of his time with the Lakers being the hyper versatile offensive forward that he was, you kind of was like the perfect foundational front court for an NBA team. That's why it wasn't a coincidence that for two straight years, not only did they win a championship, but they won damn near eighty percent of their games when the two of them were on the floor together. That is the, you know, that that was the foundational piece of this whole thing. But in 2020, I don't know if it was because of Frank Vogel. I don't know if it was because of LeBron coming off of the most embarrassing season of his career. I don't know if it was Anthony Davis thriving under all of the enthusiasm from joining the Lakers. But LeBron and Anthony Davis were thoroughly and entirely bought in defensively. Then we went to 2021. LeBron stayed bought in defensively. Anthony Davis bought out defensively. Then we move forward one year and LeBron James buys out defensively too and now suddenly LeBron James and Anthony Davis are a pretty bad defensive front court compared to what they used to be. Obviously Anthony Davis's poor defensive effort still brings a lot of positives, but they just weren't the same. In the 2021 year, they still had a ton of defensive-minded players to pick up the slack for Anthony Davis. Dennis Schroeder, Danny, or not Danny Green, excuse me, Contavius Caldwell Pope. You know Kyle Kuzma. That was the year he blossomed into an excellent defensive uh, forward in this league. They had players that were committed defensively to kind of pull the weight for what was going on um, uh, with Anthony Davis backing down. Alex Cruz. So I left him out. He's another great example of that. They had awesome defensive-minded players. Then you get to 2022. Yes, you basically trade out all of the defensive-minded players for offensive-minded players. You combine that with LeBron James and Anthony Davis buying out defensively, and it turned into a disaster defensively. They were one of the worst defensive teams that I've ever seen. And so from that standpoint, I'm hopeful that LeBron James and Anthony Davis are bought in this year. I'm hopeful for the sake of the Lakers that they kind of recapture some of that 2020 vibe. But if they don't, or if it's something less than that, like let's say they buy in for the big games or they buy in for stretches, but they have extended stretches of the season where they're kind of checked out, that's where it helps to have all of these guys that love to play defense. Because that will help carry you during those stretches. Most importantly, it will make it difficult for LeBron James and Anthony Davis to buy out. Because it's just hard. You guys know, I mean, look. I played in college. I play pickup now. I go through days where I don't really feel like bringing it. But if I'm on a team and I have three or four guys next to me that are really defending, I'm probably going to defend. Because it's just, you, you start to get the side eye. You start to get those little bit of dirty looks. You start to feel guilty for not playing defense when the guys next to you are. And there was none of that accountability with the Lakers last year. There was none of that guys holding each other to the same defensive standard. And so I like the direction, even though I feel like it was reactionary, even though I don't even necessarily know if Rob Plinka's mind or heart was in the right place, I do like the shift back to defensive-minded guards. We talked about this earlier, uh, and i got to give some credit to Rob here. Um, I talked about this about a month ago, but really like the Darvin Ham sign. Awesome defensive... Um, you know, kind of transition from what he was doing in Milwaukee to the Lakers. Some of the stuff he can do with Anthony Davis and LeBron is similar to stuff that he did with Giannis Antetokounmpo and, uh, and Brooke Lopez. So I loved that fit. I love that he's a tough former NBA player, role player archetype, and the way that he'll be able to look eye to eye with LeBron James and Anthony Davis and resonate with them in a way that a lot of the establishment coaches can't. I really, really liked that signing. The Lakers now have a great base of high-motor players. We talked about this just a minute ago with defense, but that goes with the night-in, night-out grind of the NBA season on both ends of the floor. Austin Reeves is a high-motor player. Stanley Johnson is a high-motor player. Wenyon Gabriel is a high-motor player. Juan Toscano Anderson, high-motor player. You know, uh, Troy Brown Jr., Thomas Bryant. These are all high-motor players. So this Lakers team will... Do better in the dregs of the regular season, having this group out there to in the rotation to just bring the night in and night out energy that you need, especially to pad your to pad your team in the standings with wins and losses. So, uh, if, last year, if you guys remember, that was a huge problem for the Lakers when you're relying on Russell Westbrook and you're relying on LeBron James, and you're relying on Carmelo Anthony, and you're relying on Anthony Davis, and you're relying on Dwight Howard, and you're relying on DeAndre Jordan, and you're relying on Cam Bazemore. It's like, these are all older veteran players that don't really get up for the Oklahoma City Thunder in December. So what happens? You end up losing to the Oklahoma City Thunder twice as a result. So I I liked the idea of understanding your weakness. Your weakness is your two stars struggle with motors sometimes. Let's target young players with high motors. It will help carry them through some of those stretches. And the last but not least in terms of positives, I think that, you know, Rob Polinka finally started to get it right in terms of the value of shooting. You know, and I kind of have like a, a combo opinion on this kind of thing. It's a combo of different things that I've heard and seen over the years when I've been playing and coaching and, and covering the league. Um, the best guy that I've seen to explain kind of a variation of what I believe is is Mike Trudell, who does an amazing job covering the Lakers for Spectrum Sportsnet. He also does the Laker Film Room podcast uh, with Pete Zayas and Darius Soriano. They do an amazing job. Lakers fans, if you're looking for like a Laker-focused podcast, that's the best one I've seen. Got to check him out. Um, but Mike Trudell always says that like the difference between a 38% three-point shooter and a 34% three-point shooter... Might be a dozen makes over the course of a season. You know, if you're attempting, you know, three, four hundred shots, right? Like that, it's not really that much of a difference. And I tend to agree. But more importantly, I think percentage matters less than volume. You know, your it's, it's the perception of your threat versus your actual threat. So for instance, you know, NBA teams are going to sag off of players all the time to guard LeBron James and Anthony Davis. That's just what you have to do. If you leave the paint open and let LeBron James drive to the rim all day long, he's going to destroy you. If you don't double-team Anthony Davis in the post and you let him work one-on-one against smaller players, he's going to destroy you. You make a decision when you guard the Lakers, we're packing the paint and we're making other people shoot. So if Wesley Matthews shoots 34% from three, but you know... Uh, Troy Brown Jr. shoots 35 or 36, or I've just thrown out numbers for the sake of this argument, if there's a slight percentage difference there, that's irrelevant to the way teams will guard you. The way teams will guard you is the same, regardless of whether that's Wesley Matthews in the corner, or it's Contavious Caldwell-Pope in the corner, or it's Kyle Kuzma in the corner, or it's, you know, uh, uh, or Troy Brown Jr., whoever the hell it is in the corner, they're ignoring that person. They're going to probably have a foot in the paint or near the paint to help on your LeBron James and Anthony Davis's drives. The only type of player that will actually warp the defense out to you is a gunner. That's a high-volume three-point shooter. Has nothing to do with the percentage. Has everything, or I should say, very little to do with the percentage, and mostly has to do with the fear that you will shoot if you are open. For the most part, if you got a foot near the paint, and there's a skip pass to Wesley Matthews, and you close out on him, He won't even shoot it. He'll keep it moving. He might attack the closeout a little bit, kick it to the next guy, and then reset the offense. And so that's what allows that defender to sit in the paint, knowing he doesn't have to chaotically, psychotically panic chase you off the three-point line because you're only going to shoot if you're completely wide open. Having a shooter out there that is a gunner, someone that has a relatively quickly quick release and never sees a shot he doesn't like, that's the type of guy out there that will cause the defender to have a little bit more hesitancy to pull further and further away from him. I accidentally listed him earlier, but I met, intended to use him for this example. A guy that, 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 uh, that, that fits this mold perfectly for you guys to understand what I'm talking about is Kyle Kuzma. Kyle Kuzma has been shooting the ball a lot better in the, a lot better in the last couple of years, but for his career... Has been a like a low 30s three-point shooter. But he's six foot nine and he's a freaking gunner. Every time he's open, he shoots it. And so Kyle Kuzma has a better spacing effect than a 40% shooter that's hesitant or a 38% shooter that's hesitant. I always liked Kyle Kuzma's fit as a role player next to stars because you never have to doubt whether or not he's brave enough to take the shot. And he more than likely will take a few more than you that you then you actually want him to take. Every coach will tell you. They would rather have a player that they have to convince to shoot a little bit less often than a player that they have to convince to shoot a little bit more often. It's just a simple matter of confidence at that point. So ditching the Malik Monk and Carmelo Anthony archetypes of players. Melo actually is more of a gunner. He was actually a better fit, and I wouldn't hate to see him back in a Lakers jersey. But Malik Monk is a good example of what I'm talking about. He's kind of got to load up on his shot. He's a little bit shorter, needs a little bit more separation. His value as a spot-up threat is he pretty much has to be open, right? He's not a guy that's going to make you pay for you know helping off of him just a little bit. So shifting away from high percentage three point shooters, if you guys remember last year, all those guys that they signed, it was like, oh, Kent Bazemore over forty percent from three with Golden State, like that's impressive, right? We got to bring that guy in. You know, it's like, oh, it, you know, uh, Avery Bradley shot the ball really well from three last year. We got to bring that guy in. We got to bring these guys in because their percentages looked better than the guys that we had last year. But then they all came in and no one guarded them anyway, and they didn't make that many shots. So again, it's, it's, and and if you look at the Malik Monk, Carmelo Anthony archetypes, this is the other side of this thing, the Malik Monk, Melo archetypes give up a ton on the other end of the floor on defense. And so it's like, at least if you've got a Juan Toscano Anderson and a Troy Brown Jr. and a Lonnie Walker and Austin Reeves, Stanley Johnson, they're not going to shoot over 35% from three, right? They're not going to make a ton of shots. They're going to present the same shortcomings as spot-up threats from just about any other Laker that has played in this era, but they're competing down on the defensive end of the floor. So the moral of the story is, if you can choose between a guy who's a good shooter who doesn't defend and a guy who's an okay-to-average shooter that does defend, take this guy. Unless he's an absolute gunner, like a guy that absolutely forces defense to contort his way. Those are the only guys that bring enough significant offensive value that you can make up for some of their defensive shortcomings, which is why Melo is one of the guys that I had considered as a potential player to sign. As we move to the negatives. So, I like the idea of going younger. You probably will have guys more available. You probably won't have to deal with lineup turnover as often as you did last year. But you do need some veteran role players. You do need some wise, experienced, you know, guys who've been around the block a few times. You do need some of those guys in the locker room, especially as role players. One, they can help coach up young role players in a way that the LeBrons and Anthony Davis of the world cannot because they can't relate to them, right? They can, they can be, you know, mentors to them in a lot of ways. Two, they're usually more reliable in a playoff series. We've seen this so many times, but having a guy that you can trust to not make mistakes in a big moment carries a great deal of value, especially as a fifth starter, especially as a guy that is surrounding your higher end players. You know, and that's not to say that you'll use them often, but you like to have them as an option. You know, typically when you're dealing with young players, you deal with volatility. I say this all the time. Young players struggle to identify what's working for them and to replicate that. And to identify what they're struggling with and to find ways to cut that out. They've always struggled with that. That's not just a basketball thing. That's a life thing. It's the reason why like, (laughs) I swear every young person I know gets in some amount of debt when they're young and then they have to learn the hard way that that sucks and then you get out of debt and then you realize you don't want to do it anymore. You're young. You don't understand the mistakes you're making. You can't actually perceive consequences in the future and so you do stupid stuff. This is the kind of thing that I'm talking about here. So like a guy like Lonnie Walker... He'll have nights where he looks amazing, but he'll also have nights where his head's not in it and he's making a lot of mistakes. That's where it helps to have a veteran option to plug into that spot for 12, 15 minutes in a second half one night when Lonnie doesn't have it. Or the same thing if a Juan Toscano Anderson isn't, isn't, isn't fitting in well in this specific night in his spot in the rotation. I'd like to see a little bit of a veteran role player presence. This is why I liked Melo. Again, Mello as a guy that has to play 30 minutes a night, as a guy that you need for significant amounts of offensive creation, as a guy that you need 82 games a year, that can be a shortcoming on a team surrounded with other old guys. But if he's the one old guy, if he's the one veteran presence, if you never need to post him up, if he can take a night off on a back-to-back, if he can be the veteran uh, mentorship uh, veteran mentor to some younger players, he can bring great value there. And again, he was the one true legitimate spot-up threat that actually contorted defenses for the Lakers last year, and that manifested in their net rating stats if you look at him when they when he would play alongside LeBron James, good things would happen. And so I like the idea of bringing Mello back as one of the handful of older veteran players on this roster who brings one truly elite skill in his ability to spot up shoot. A lot of the criticism directed towards Melo over the course of the last couple of years has a lot to do with the fact that he's been in bigger roles than he really should have had. In Portland, they needed him to score a lot. With the Lakers, they needed him to score a lot. There was no expectation for him to play defense because neither of those teams played any defense. This is a, actually a much better fit for Melo than even just last year's Lakers team was. Second negative, the lack of wing size. So the first thing that came to my mind when I saw Thomas Bryant. Second thing that came to my mind when I saw Thomas Bryant last night. I was like, oh, Thomas Bryant, quality signing, really like this guy. Damian Jones made more sense as a backup center anyway. I like this. Second thought, oh, they're going to go big again this year. Now, they've never really truly leaned into AD at the five, and there's been a lot of reasons for that. Um, particularly this last season, they just didn't have the personnel. They didn't have enough wing size to successfully play Anthony Davis at the five. But the thing is, is I always thought that the best version of this team was Anthony Davis at the five because of the offensive spacing that it creates. You know, again, in the modern NBA, especially when you're playing top tier defenses, when teams are allowed to be physical, when they start ignoring your non-shooters, floor spacing becomes a premium. It becomes one of the most important things in the game of basketball. And so the problem with having Anthony Davis at the four and putting someone in the dunker spot all game long is even though it helps you in some other areas of the game, like on defense, rebounding, things along those lines, it vastly hurts the confidence of your slashing stars because they just don't see the driving opportunities that they normally see. And so when I saw the Thomas Bryant signing, the first thing I thought was, okay, if they have Thomas Bryant and Damian Jones, chances are they plan on playing Anthony Davis at the four. So at first I was a little irritated. But the main reason why I think this might be okay, and the main reason why I think this could work, again, just could, is because when you don't have the wing size, you have to play big. Now, the whole league is going towards wings. But there was a team in 2020 that won the title largely without wings. And they did it with guards and bigs. And it was the Lakers. Then there was a team in 2021 that won the title, largely without wings, primarily with bigs and guards, and that was the Milwaukee Bucks. They were exceptions to the rule, though. I know they won, but the reality was is they won because LeBron James and Giannis were so unbelievably good. You can functionally run a, a team like that. It's not the way that I think you should in today's day and age. But as the Bucks and Lakers have proved, it is doable as long as everything breaks right. So with Rob Polinka still having not signed a single player that is over the 6'6", so I, I am as tall as every wing on the Lakers roster right now except for Stanley Johnson. Like, the, 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 because we haven't gone that route for the Lakers, you have to play big. And so I like that at least if they're going to play big, they're doing it with the right kind of centers. And you can kind of see the, the team's identity starting to take shape. Defensive-minded guards, LeBron James at three, Anthony Davis at the four, super athletic centers underneath the basket to be rim runners and backline defenders. That was the 2020 Lakers. So I do like that they've tried at least to uh, replicate something that has worked. It's not what I would have done. I didn't think it was right to use the mid-level exception, your one large salary slot this summer, on a player that does not play the wing on a player that cannot start for you necessarily in a playoff series. He might end up having to by virtue of the way the roster shakes down, but I'm not sure that Lonnie Walker would have started for any of the conference finalists last year. And I like Lonnie Walker. If they would have signed Lonnie Walker for the minimum, I'd be singing praises about the deal. Any solid guy who will fit in this rotation. But when you had one slot to offer a player six million dollars, it should have been for someone who was six foot eight and could play a little bit of uh, play a little bit of uh, two way basketball. I-, I disagreed with that strategy. I think that the best ultimate version of this Laker team that might never end up happening, and really that we've only seen in the playoffs of 2020, was Anthony Davis at the five, LeBron James at the four, and big perimeter players. Alex Crusoe, Kyle Kuzma. And Kentavious caldwell Pope. Six five, six, 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 nine. That would or, or swap out D- uh, Danny Green at, at six foot seven for Kyle Kuzma. That was always the best way to do this. Big perimeter players, LeBron James and Anthony Davis in the front court. So not having big perimeter players is an issue here. Now you might literally have to play big. And the ultimate reminder if we go back to the 2020 Lakers, yeah, they've played big. But in the playoffs, 60% of their minutes, Anthony Davis was at center. When push came to shove, Anthony Davis was at center. When they fell down 1-0 to the Rockets, Anthony Davis played at the center. For specific matchups, like against Jokic, they went big. Be- got back to Miami, they played small most of that series. So at the, at the ultimate moments of that championship pursuit for the Lakers, Anthony Davis played center. And unless they can find another big wing, I'm not sure they can this year. Now, a lot of stuff is still going to happen. So, for instance, Kyrie Irving is probably going to be in this picture somehow, but that doesn't solve that problem, right? Let's say Russell Westbrook ends up being the fulcrum of the Kyrie Irving trade and one first-round pick. That means you have Kendrick Nunn, Talon Horton Tucker, so a six-two point guard who's left-handed uh, and kind of and shifty, not great defensively, but okay. And Taylor Horton Tucker, who, like, depending on which night you catch him, he looks like a future all-star or someone who shouldn't be in the league. And he's only six four. We have those two guys, and we have one more first-round pick. Those three assets have to somehow bring back somebody who's six foot seven, six foot eight, can guard multiple positions, and defend, uh, uh, and do a little bit of something on offense. That has to be the target here, because if you're going to Try to recreate the mold of the 2020 Lakers. You need to have some malleability. You need to have some ability to, to have the ability to downsize the way the 2020 Lakers.
0: Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere. Like at your pregame barbecue. While you prep your meats, that grease trap you forgot to empty is prepping to smoke your porch, garage, and the car inside. And without the right home and auto insurance coverage, the cost to repair this could eat up your savings. So bundle home and auto with Allstate to save and get protected from mayhem like this. Bundled savings vary and are not available
1: in every state. Coverage is subject to policy terms and conditions. Warm weather brings many outdoor activities. Happy hours after work, weekend hikes, pool parties, and family barbecues. With all that time spent in the sun, we're often not thinking about what it's doing to our hair. Those rays can seriously affect your scalp and hair, making right now the perfect time to start taking Nutrafol to help keep your hair healthy this summer. Nutrafol is the number one dermatologist-recommended hair growth supplement, with over 1 million people seeing thicker, stronger, and faster-growing hair with less shedding. Thinning hair is different for men and women, so a one-size-fits-all approach to hair growth doesn't cut it. Nutrafol has multiple formulas that are tailored to give your hair what it needs to grow based on your biology, life stage, and lifestyle factors. Physician formulated with drug-free ingredients, Nutrafol supports healthy hair growth from within by targeting key root causes of thinning, stress, hormones, environment, nutrition, lifestyle, and metabolism through whole body health. With Nutrafol, building a hair growth routine is simple. Purchase online, no prescription or doctor's visits required. Free shipping and automated deliveries ensure you'll never miss a day and you'll see results in three to six months. Get results you can run your fingers through. For a limited time, Nutrafol is offering our listeners $10 off your first month's subscription and free shipping when you go to Nutrafol.com and enter the promo code HOOPS. That's H-O-O-P-S. Find out why over 4,500 healthcare professionals and stylists recommend Nutrafol for healthier hair. Nutrafol.com, spelled N U T. R A F O L dot com promo code hoops. That's H O O P S. That's neutrophil dot com promo code hoops. Angie's list is now Angie, the nation's largest home services marketplace. They're here to help homeowners get all their jobs done well. Angie has helped over 150 million homeowners care for their homes. Whatever your home project, big or small, indoor or outdoor, come to Angie to connect with and hire skilled professionals to get the job done well. It's something that I've always been a big believer in. When Usually when you try to take on a project that you don't know how to do, it ends up just being a bigger headache as you try to learn and then you end up making mistakes and it ends up just not being worth it. Not only can a professional get the job done more efficiently, but you're also supporting local businesses in your area. With over 200,000 pros in their network, Angie makes it easy to research, compare, and hire pros to ensure a job is done well. With 29 years of experience combined with new digital tools to simplify the process. Angie makes completing home projects easy. Angie has cost guides to tell you what others have paid for similar projects, both nationally and in your area. The app is free and easy to use. We all know the difficulties that can come with home projects. Angie makes tackling your project as simple as possible from start to finish. Turn to Angie with confidence, even for major renovations or emergency repairs. Are you renting? Even renters can come to Angie for moving installations and cleaning. Get started at Angie.com. That's A N G I.com or download the app today. Bakers did. Step up to the tee and take a swing at betting the PGA Tour on FanDuel Sportsbook. Right now, new customers can bet the tour with a no sweat first bet. If you don't win, you'll get up to $1,000 back in free bets. I cannot wait. For the Open Championship next weekend, the two guys that I have my eyes on are Will Zalatoris. So you can get on FanDuel right now to win at plus 2200 And Justin Thomas at plus 1400 I love using this app. They have great promotions every day. It's safe and secure. And most importantly, you get paid quickly. So see for yourself why FanDuel is America's number one sportsbook. Download the FanDuel Sportsbook app and sign up using promo code JASONT to get started with your no-sweat first bet. Up to $1,000. That's FanDuel Sportsbook, the official betting operator of the PGA Tour. Promo code Jason T. All right, before we get out of here, I wanted to talk for just a couple of seconds about Kyrie's fit. And then I want to rip through some of these young players and just give you guys my quick thoughts. And then we'll get out of here. First of all, as I laid out with that roster, a lot of these guys, Lonnie Walker, Juan Toscano Anderson, Troy Brown Jr., Austin Reeves, Stanley Johnson. You know, these are not offensive creator type of players. And while the Lakers went too far that direction with the mellow monk type of idea, you do need some offensive creation. You do need somebody other than LeBron James that can run action. Now, the way I look at it in the NBA, there's two different kinds of actions. There's primary action, secondary action. Primary action is ran against a set defense, and secondary action is typically ran against a defense that's either in rotation or has made a rotation, and their primary defenders are not involved. It usually is targeting one of their lesser perimeter players. So for instance, like a guy like Lonnie Walker, a guy like Lonnie Walker has a lot of experience running second side action. He's run some primary action with the Spurs. It just doesn't really count because it's the Spurs and they're not getting the other team's best shot. I don't think Lonnie Walker is the kind of guy that can come down the floor, you know, 20, 30 possessions a game run high pick and roll with Anthony Davis and be trusted to make consistently good decisions. But if a Kendrick Nunn comes down the floor and runs that action and it gets swung to Lonnie Walker, who now has a defender closing out on him. Or, you know, here comes the ball screen, but the defense isn't set all the way. That's where I do think he can bring some value. But the Lakers do need at least one more first primary side creator, right? You know, you could post up LeBron, you could post up LeBron James, post up Anthony Davis, run any sort of high action with LeBron James ball screen isolation things along those lines, right? But you'd need one other guard, one other wing that could put the ball on the floor and create his own shot, either in pick and roll or in isolation. This is why Kyrie is so important. And again, like there's, again, the intel with Kyrie went over a lot of it yesterday, so I'm not going to get into it again. My theory here is that Brooklyn is asking for two first round picks. The reason why is they know they can get one from the Lakers. So why not go canvas the league looking for a second first round pick? And maybe you'll convince the Lakers to throw in a second first round pick. And and if that's the case, the Lakers are doing the right thing. Be patient. This will all shake out. You'll be able to get Kyrie for Russ in a first. Just do it at that point, and then you'll be fine. The one thing that I would say is if Rob Palenka is not including the first, that's just complete insanity. This is Russell Westbrook. He's one of the most overpaid players in NBA history. I'm not even, I don't even need to get into the Russ thing. You just – Russ is a negative asset, okay? Kyrie Irving is also a negative asset, but much less of a negative asset than Russell Westbrook is. Why? Because Kyrie Irving actually can play basketball still at an extremely high level on one end of the floor, while Russell Westbrook can't on either end of the floor. Okay? So you're trying to trade a a $47 million negative asset for a better asset who makes $36 million. So you're going to have to give them something. All right? So give them the first if the time comes. But if they're just holding out to make sure it's only one first, I support the deal. That said, the Lakers need to do whatever it takes to get Kyrie, stay in contact, don't blow this, don't go blow the pick on somebody else, because it would be extremely advantageous for the Lakers to have a guy in Kyrie that they can toss the ball to 30, 40 times a game to run that primary side action. Such a big deal for LeBron James. That's why he's targeted these point guards so much over the years. You know, LeBron, I always joked when he was with the Cavs that it was like thirds. Like, for a third of the game, he's looking to score. A third of the game, he's looking to facilitate. And a third of the game, he's looking for somebody else to do those things. Okay? And he's never been able, since he came to to the Lakers, he's never been able to find that guy. You know, in the 2020 season, it ended up kind of randomly being Rondo as he had a good, a decent playoff run after having a bad regular season. But, like, that's the type of guy he's targeting. That's why he wanted Dennis Schroeder. That's why he wanted Russell Westbrook. He wanted somebody to do that. Kyrie's your guy there. It's a natural fit. The give and take with LeBron is excellent. You know, he he can bring the ball up the floor without even passing and create something for himself. So he's he's kind of like a great release valve for LeBron to save his legs for the other two-thirds of the game when he's more involved. So great offensive fit, an absolute necessity for the Lakers, and hopefully they don't mess around and blow this. They need him. Let's rip through these young players really quick before we get out of here. Thomas Bryant. Um, partially torn ACL, so he should, he should theoretically be back to 100% this year. He's a decent three-point percentage shooter, but he's super low volume. He made fewer threes in his entire career through four seasons than Maxi Kleber did in just one season this year for the Dallas Mavericks to give you an idea in the volume difference between a real stretch five and a guy who's capable of making some shots. But as I talked about earlier, I'm not really all that concerned about his three-point percentage. Him just being a reasonable threat is a hell of a lot more than what the Lakers have had in the years past, even from Anthony Davis. So I do expect some floor spacing capability from him, but don't think Maxi Kaliba, that's just not what he is. He's always played with a super high motor, and he rolls hard to the rim every time. That's a big advantage for ball screen guys, guys like LeBron James or if Kyrie Irving ends up falling into the spot, or Kendrick Nunn if they don't trade him. Having a player that sets the screen hard and rolls hard to the rim, it's, it's, it's difficult because you don't always get the ball. In fact, often you don't get the ball. And so it's hard to convince Biggs to do that, and it's good that he does do that. But he does have that high motor. He plays super physical. He's not afraid of contact. This is big time for NBA uh, centers, because a lot of NBA centers don't necessarily love basketball that much. There's a reason why guards are always so much more skilled than bigs, and a huge part of it is, is guards choose basketball because they love the game of basketball. Most big guys choose basketball because they were told by their friends and family that they should play basketball. <laughs> so it's good to see when you do see a big guy that has that motor, that's a, th- th- that's something that absolutely um, is unique at the position. <clears throat> And last but not least, Thomas Bryant, he's got all that modern center mobility. I'm not going to get into it again because we got into it earlier, but he does have the foot speed and linear speed to be able to hang in transition and to hang in five-out situations. <clears throat> okay, Lonnie Walker. So everyone's comparing him to Malik Monk. Uh, our own Chris Mannix compared him to Malik Monk with, with Colin Coward the other day on his show. I do agree in the sense that he's a thin athlete. So, you know, when you're a relatively thin athlete – It's hard for you to get to your athleticism when the slightest little bump in hand check can contain you or cause you to lose balance. So, you know, a bigger, stronger. This is why I was such. uh, um, This is why I was such a huge fan of Ivy, uh, uh, the the kid that um, uh, the Detroit Pistons signed in the draft or picked in the draft because he has that combination of strength and low center of gravity with athleticism, so you can't bump him off his line. You're not going to be able to just hand-check him in his place. He's more likely to bump you off of your line. That's why these super-thin, super-athletic guards have some limitations. That's why Malik Monk, even though he was a great dunker, wasn't just flying through the lane dunking on everybody all season. It's because it's just hard to do when you don't have the physical you know, momentum to stay on your attack line, so I do agree with him there. However, that's where the competition, the comparisons end. Malik Monk was a lights out three point shooter who absolutely could run primary side action, and Lonnie Walker, Walker is not. Okay, Malik Monk competed on defense, but just didn't have the instincts or the the physical traits to do it. Lonnie Walker is a little bit stronger, a little more laterally quick, and actually is very much committed on the defensive end of the floor. He's not an elite defensive guard right now, but he's the kind of guy that could be that for this team. So from that standpoint, <clears throat> I, I don't really look at it as a Malik Monk comp. What I do look at it is as a similarity in the sense that it was a misallocation of resources to target a young uh, 6'4 guard that doesn't fit your direct need on the wing for a player like that. Although I should give Rob credit uh, some credit. Malik Monk was on a veteran minimum contract last year couple of specific things Lonnie Walker said in his interview today that he that he prefers to guard one through three but that he can he thinks he might be able to guard fours now because he's up to 250 pound 15 pounds I'm curious to see if he's actually 215 pounds because I don't I don't see that kind of size from him so I'm really curious to see him on the court this year to see if that muscle really is there 215 pounds is heavy for a 64 guard that would mean he's really, really stout, and I, I don't really see that with him. But I did think it was interesting that he said that he guards one through three because that's kind of what I'm talking about in terms of wing uh, wing versatility. In order for you to be a versatile wing, you should be able to guard one through four. Like the only guys in the league that you shouldn't be able to guard are a Jokic or an Embiid, right? You should be able to at least hold your own and force a guy to shoot over the top to the 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 um to all of the perimeter players in the league. And if you're a little too small and a little too thin, you're gonna struggle against the bigger forwards, bigger wings in the league. And that's something I expect Malik uh or excuse me uh, Lonnie Walker to struggle with. He's inconsistent with his shot. That's to be expected. If you look through his numbers, yeah he only shot 31% from three last year, only 32% when he was open or wide open But if you looked at it, he had extended stretches where he shot well. It's like, oh, here's a 15-game stretch where he shot 40%. Here's a 7-game stretch where he shot 47%. Like That's the kind of thing you're seeing there. That's classic, young, up-and-coming, streaky shooter. To me, that's irrelevant. We talked about the shooting thing earlier. He's going to make enough shots that teams can't completely ignore him. But at the same time, teams are going to play off of him just like they do every single teammate of slashing stars that you see around the league. And then we talked about this earlier, but he's not a primary side creator. So the Lakers are going to have to find some way to find a primary side creator because if you're relying on Lonnie Walker to run you know, high pick and roll with Anthony Davis to start possessions for a significant chunk of the season, you're just going to be at a disadvantage compared to some of the other guys around the league. And then last but not least, and I'm lumping these two guys together, Juan Toscano Anderson and Troy Barrow Jr., they're just athlete wrecking balls. These are not offensive players. These are not guys that are going to light you up spotting up from the three point line. These are not high level closeout attackers. They're not going to, you know, be chased off the line, rip through into the lane, make a, a, a you know, I'll give you an example. Austin Reeves is a high level closeout attacker. That guy rips through to the middle and slows down and makes a read, sees how the defense kind of contorts to him, and then he'll make the perfect kick out every single time. And then if you don't collapse on him, he's got a couple of moves that he can go to, secondary moves, like counter moves, to try to get a shot off as he's attacking the closeout. These aren't those guys. These are one-dimensional spot-up threats. They're going to make some of their catch-and-shoot threes, and if you chase them off the line and they can rip through the basket and go all the way and dunk, that's great, but you're not going to get them to make high-level closeout reads. But that's fine, because that's not their job. These are athlete wrecking balls. They will crash the offensive glass. They will run the floor in transition, and most importantly, they are committed to to the defensive end of the floor. I loved hearing Troy Brown Jr.'s press conference today talking about how his only concern on this team is to play defense and that he wants to, he's going to focus on his ability to knock down corner threes, which is what you need from a player who plays position, his position and then be able to guard as many positions on the floor as he can. You know, Troy Brown Jr. is a little bit more wiry, a little more athletic. Quantiscano Anderson's a little bigger, a little less athletic, but a little trunkier. I like that versatility. You can unleash a, Troy Brown Jr. against a quicker guard, and you can release uh, uh, Juan Toscano Anderson against a Kawhi Leonard as someone that might be able to at least hold his ground in some of the physicality. Anyway, I hadn't had a chance to touch on, on uh, a bunch of these guys because we've just been in the weeds of the rest of the free agency, but I wanted to take some time today to do a deep dive on the Lakers, and we went really deep. We've went almost 45 minutes. Um, uh, but that's all I got for right now. As we get more information about what the Lakers are going to do again, I expect a Kyrie Irving move from Russell Westbrook. I expect Kendrick Nunn and Taylor Horton Tucker to be flipped for a wing. At least I hope that they do. And I think they, they'll end up targeting like a Carmelo Anthony and maybe one or two more veteran players to round out their roster. So this is not over. Uh, but I thought now was as good as time at any to dive into the moves that they've made to this point. All right, guys, that is all I have for today. Like I said, at the beginning of the show, don't forget that I will be in NBA summer league starting tomorrow through Sunday morning. Uh, Follow me on Twitter at underscore JasonLT so you guys can see kind of where I'm at around town and where I'm at at the game so you guys can come say hi and uh, we can talk some hoops and maybe we'll get to play a little bit of hoops as well while we're there and then I'll do some uh, video reactions to some of the higher end games as we get there. All right, guys, that is all I have. I will see you guys tomorrow.
0: The Volume.